Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and today I'm joined by a member of Stampede Blue, uh, Jared. How are you doing tonight, man? Hey, it's another beautiful day. I'm just lucky to be here. I appreciate you uh, asking us to come on and, and to talk to you on your podcast, man. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I did this two years ago, and I'm doing it again this year, which is just an AFC South preview. Uh, we we did the Titans and Texans, and the idea was to go from you know worst to first. And I originally had planned to to do this Colts podcast next week or after the Jaguars, and then the news broke that uh, Andrew Luck would be re- you know is gonna would be retiring, and he did retire, of course. So were you one of those awful Americans who who booed and hated Andrew Luck for retiring this late in the summer uh, before he even <laughs> entered the prime of his career? <laughs> right. Uh, so just to set this up for you, and and we'll. We'll kind of have to figure out where we land on calling people who have a guttural guttural response to a pretty shocking announcement. We can all agree that those people aren't awful Americans. Uh, that you could call them drunk, you could call them um, shocked, you could call them just about anything. But they're not bad people, man. And on the whole, uh, in my experience, AFC South fans have always been like the coolest in person. Uh, and I attend a lot of Colts games. I've been to road Colts games. Uh, and the AFC South is like a big party because for the last – and I hate to be frank, but I'll be that. For the last 20 years, the Colts have owned the division. And when you travel with the team or, you you know, you go to the games and you meet fans of, of specifically division opponents, they've always been very respectful. And that's something that is unique because outside of our division, you know, we're a mid-market team. Um, so to answer your question again, no, uh, I'm not one of the people booing Andrew Luck. Um, I was one of the people saying this this aligns uh, with what I thought was coming out of the organization, which was smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be one of the people that you meet that says, I don't think that we were lied to. And I think that there's a very fine line you walk in the NFL with talking about your injuries to your team members publicly. And I think rather than give up too much information, they gave up fragmented information, which made it seem even more obvious that it was, this was just smoke and mirrors. And my thought process either was he's completely fine and he's going to start week one. And he's been doing a lot of work off the field in behind closed doors, playing on turf because that's where they're best at. And that's where they're home for eight games. Right. So I, I was under the impression that either something horrible is going to happen or has happened or he's completely fine and this is just a game that we're playing uh, with the likes of, say, the New England Patriots who put um, Tom Brady on the injury report every week last year. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, I, I thought this was smoke and mirrors. I thought either Andrew Luck's going to be fine or something bad had happened. Um, like maybe his wife fell ill or something. Um and it turns out that, as a result, he'd really just been through it all, right? He'd, he'd just like you said, he he lacerated his kidney. He had cartilage in his ribs tore up. He had concussion. He had the shoulder injury. Now he's got this leg thing. Um, and if you think about the position he's in in life, uh, he's a newlywed. He's about to have a baby. He's a son of an NFL quarterback. Uh, and you think about how much time he spent, uh, probably with a babysitter, um, or probably with you know with mom. I'm I'm guessing, obviously. But you can imagine him deciding to take a step back here and be a, a real part of that kid's uh, early rearing. And you never know what'll happen. You know the Colts own his rights for the next three years, and it's not unheard of for a guy to take a year off and come back. Right? Andrew Luck's already done that once. And I think the reason that he had to retire is ultimately if he. The rumors that I saw, which are unsubstantiated, is that he'd asked for 90 days off to be with his wife as she gave birth, I'm assuming. Okay. And then he asked for 60 days off. And then if you really think about the fact that Jacoby Brissett took every single 11-on-11 snap this offseason for the Colts, the real question I would have is, even if Andrew Luck didn't retire, brother, how many games do you think it'd take for him to get back on the field? It would take him eight weeks. He has to 
get back physically able to play and then get back into the rhythm of the offense before they're going to put him back out there, right? You, you would think. So <clears throat> I really wasn't expecting it to, you know, it a whole, your whole life's a 50-50. So I thought there's a 50-50, he's either done or he's fine. And when he decided to retire, I had already accepted it. Like I was in my in my desk in my office watching the game, game uh, and I was sitting with the Esprit, the Stampede Blue crew. We were all in Slack, chatting back and forth about the goings on of the game. And then you know everybody's on social media giving their hot takes, right? And then the Schefter tweet came out, and my thir- first reaction was just like Pat McAfee's, right? Oh no, Schefter got hacked, right? It's pretty a big piece of news information. Yeah, Schefter got hacked. And then I, it, I'm i not saying I saw it and that this is what happened, but right about that time, about within about five minutes of that, in the game, game, they focused in on Andrew Luck. And I swear he turned around and said, I told you that to the person that was behind him. I swear I saw it on TV. Mm-hmm. So I immediately I was like, well, first of all, there are other people that know because if I knew – my quarterback was going to retire in the middle of a football game, I would have a real hard time not pointing it out when everyone in the stadium is on their phone now that, uh uh-oh, I think they're starting to find out. I'd have had a hard time not interacting with Andrew Luck and being like, oh, our little secret got exposed, right? Um, But, yeah, it it didn't go how it wanted to go. Andrew Luck wanted to do that at 3 o'clock on Sunday. Um, You know, it was kind of telling, though. They benched Jacoby Brissett. Um, they, the Colts really haven't played much of their starters all preseason. And I kind of think that's a rising trend too. So I think in the future, you're going to see more second and third team players playing more preseason football than normal because of things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think the, anybody's a bad person for booing i think you're human and you're allowed to react i think at this point it would be unreasonable to be upset with andrew luck for retiring given what he's been through i mean think about think about jj watt brother he's been he's had he's had a lot of injuries he's missed some games he's one of the most dynamic football players i've ever watched what if he retired yeah would, I... would you be surprised if people booed him no People are just having a guttural reaction to something that is so shocking that their their only reaction is to be angry at at JJ, right? But you you couldn't blame him. He's had such bad luck. I hate to use that word, uh, but he's had such bad bad luck with injuries. Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans don't have a great offensive line. He got sacked 65 times last year, knocked down 132, 132 times. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. And, uh, and like, yeah, like one of the things I've kind of learned, you know, more about riding and everything else, uh, and I guess covering football in some, you know, minuscule sort of way, is that, like, one, like, being a fan is entirely different than, like, you know, reading and riding and that, and that sort of thing about the game. And then, two, right. like, just, like, being a fan is kind of like a mental illness to begin with as well. Like, uh, obviously there's a frenzy involved with it. It's an emotional thing. It's a passionate thing to root yeah. for a team and whatever happens in the moment. Uh, you know, like I, I was surprised whenever it first happened that they were booing. And then after you step back and take a look at it and kind of understand the situation more, uh, and what was going on, like, it's not really surprising. Would that have been my response? No, but I understand why a fan base respond, respond like that in the moment. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and I even understand like, you know, it, it's a bummer for the Colts for it to be this late in the season. Have them not know. Have them, you know, assume he's going to play. Because I thought he was going to play like week one. Like it wasn't going to matter. It's just the, the typical sell preseason sort of thing. And so oh, I, was, yeah. I was really shocked. Uh, I know. I think the most interesting thing you brought up, though, was the idea that Luck may come back and play maybe one day in the future. Maybe he's just going to take a year off while he, like, pretty much like a long uh, paternity leave. Do you think that's a mm-hmm. possibility here? Because the Colts did keep his bonus money. He's still technically yep. on the roster. Uh, he's still going to take up like twenty million dollars or so in cap space over you know next year, and then I think bumps up to like twenty five million the year after that. Uh, so, do you think that door is still open there for him if he decides to play football again? Uh, so, just to clarify, the Colts did not keep his bonus money. They they let him keep that money, and then um, he's retired. So his I don't think he has a cap hit if he's not on the roster. 
uh, and you're not paying him his salary. Um, so what, what, like I said, the rumors, and these are complete rumors, like we don't know this for a fact, but the rumors where he was asking for like three months for 90 days off. And that means most of the season, that's it. That's minimum. Would we say 12 games? So if the rumor that you can't substantiate is he was asking for 12 weeks of the season off and you know that he just got married, he's got a baby on the way. He had talked about wanting to travel. Uh, teammates brought that up, that he'd wanted to travel. My thought process is this. He needed a full year off and figured he'd go for 90 days and, and they'd give it to him. And I'm willing to bet either Andrew Luck's so smart that he knew I have to medically, I have to retire so that I don't count against the cap. And I also don't count on the roster so that they, it isn't a disadvantage to the Colts. And I think that I was asking my wife about this cause we've done some traveling. Like if money were no object, which it, it should not be an object to Andrew Luck, right? He has all the money in the world. How much traveling could you do before you'd have to go back to work? Legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of that can you do? I, I I figure I got about nine months. I flying isn't the healthiest thing to do, and you know sometimes you get off a flight and you're not, not no good to, for a couple days. So I think I could probably travel for about nine months, and I get bored. And if I'm going to have a child in the next quarter. A quarter plus nine months is a year. In about a year, get bored enough to get back in the gym. You know, you know he's going to stay in shape. Andrew Luck's certainly not the kind of person to just get a dad bod right away. So I think he's going to stay in shape. Uh, he'll probably not toss a ball around much, uh, but I don't think those those mental skills diminish. I think that those physical skills, you know, if you're healthy, it's easier to train than when you're injured. So he just takes some time off, gets off his feet, gets out of the get out of the ice bin, you know, get back to walking on a treadmill, walking your dog, you know, pushing a little kid around. Um, and then I think there's a good chance. Well, specifically the next three years, because the Colts own his rights. So if he wants to come back, he comes back to, and he's a Colt and then they have to re-sign him. Um, so, yeah, I'm. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Is it probable? No. There's a really good chance that he's really done and getting hurt so frequently killed his joy for the game. It's really blatantly possible. And I'm not holding out hope he comes back, but that's because I'm a college football fan. There's great quarterbacks. There's three or four this year. There's going to be another few in a couple years. Trevor Lawrence, right, in two years. So... Um, like I said, I'm happy for him. Yeah, and I wanted to, especially talking to to Battle Red. Think about Arian Foster, right? Fino retired early. He was one of the best running backs in the division for most of a decade. Yeah, you know there've been there've been other players that retire young, and you just think about uh, David Carr. What if he had stepped away from the game before the back injury started to pile up on him? How much better would his life after football be? So you have to really appreciate Andrew Luck getting out of there before before it's like a much worse injury, right? Because injuries just seem to never go away. Yeah. And I, I know there's guys out there that play through it, but... Yeah, I guess the biggest difference between like Luck and like Foster, for example, is Foster towards Achilles. He was thirty years old. And he was playing for a bad Miami team uh, and wasn't doing much over there. And then also like a, a quarterbacks usually hit their prime at thirty-one years old. Luck was twenty-nine. And then the fact that he finally had a really good offensive line around him. Uh, and so like, I think we won't. We never saw the best of Andrew Luck that we could have saw. And uh, I'm sorry, no. I misspoke earlier too. Uh, so he accounts for eighteen point four million as the cap this year. And then six point four okay. million is cap next year, which doesn't really matter for the Colts because they still have like seventy million dollars in cap space. <laughs> yeah, um, so they have fifty nine this year, seventy million next year. Like, yeah. Oh, so I guess we need to go back to clarify just to make sure the the record is right. He hits the cap this year. He hits for six million. You said next year. It'd be yeah. Uh, he's sixteen million this year, and then six okay. million next year. 
Okay. So he gets full cap hit this year, and then he hits for like a third of his cap hit next year. Okay. Yeah, that's because so, of a signing and roster bonus that they assigned yeah. to, to pay him. I guess they could have rescinded that, and then he would cost for $0, but they wanted to, right. to, to love him and care about him. Yeah. So over Luck's career since his rookie year, just looking at the knockdown stats that football outsiders keep, which includes, you know, sacks plus quarterback hits. Uh, yeah. si- since 2012, Luck was knocked down 542 times. Uh, the high mar- water mark was 122 his rookie year when he played in Bruce Arians, you know, vertical passing offense where he would just hold the ball till the very last second, sling it. And it was a lot of fun to watch, but uh, he was knocked around a bit uh, yeah. that year. And so last season, that really kind of changed for him. It was the first year he had really great pass protection. He was knocked down 61 times, which is the lowest of his career. The Colts finished yep. sixth in pressure rate. They were second in just a sack rate. Uh, the time it took for him to throw the ball really greatly diminished, too, in Frank Reich's offense. That's more, you know, curls and slants and play action um, and gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands faster, too. And yeah. the offensive line also last year was interesting because it wasn't fully figured out until, like, you know, week four or five or so. Whenever they moved Brain Smith to right tackle, and then Matt Slauson was benched for Glowiniski, and uh, and the offensive line really gelled. And they're going back with those same five starters into 2019. So this year for this season, uh, do you think the offensive line can be even better this year with the continuity there and the fact that they're bringing the offensive line that really kind of gelled and worked great together uh, once they figured out you know the you know last season. Um, yeah. So. One of the things that we need to point out there is Braden Smith got moved to tackle August 14th of his rookie year, so before the preseason started. And the offensive line struggles were due to Ryan Kelly and Anthony Costanzo missing the first four or five weeks, along with Marlon Mack. So that 10 or so game stretch where the Colts were outstanding was because they were all relatively healthy. They had the full strength of their offense uh, instead of... The the issues last year, the reason the Colts... um, is is, there's a few different reasons, but the primary reasons I would argue is a lack of weapons outside of T.Y. Hilton and Eric Ebron and Marlon Mack. Um, And then the inability to play man coverage on short yardage situations. They just didn't have the personnel for that. They're, they're coming up with that. That's what's coming up. But um, so yeah, last year, the start of the season, they were just injured. Once they were healthy, they were really good for like 10 games. And I think that, you know, if you think what what was Andrew Luck's problem getting hit so many times? What was Jacoby Brissett's problem holding onto the ball too long, taking too many unnecessary hits, getting sacked a whole bunch? And then you have a scheme change when when Reich and Ballard come around, and the reality is they're mirroring the other successful franchises in football, right? So this offensive system is similar to that of the New England Patriots. It's similar to, obviously, Philadelphia. Um, So the successful franchises, uh, league-wide, I mean, there are exceptions, right? So, But most of the teams in the NFL are are gearing towards a run-heavy offense that uses the play-action pass, that passes the ball to tight ends, that tries to get their playmakers into space, that will push the ball downfield on on occasion. So yeah, I think that Jacoby Brissett has two years in the same system, which is more than a lot of quarterbacks can say. He took all of the 11 on 11 reps. He's shown that he can make all the throws. He's shown he has a little bit of escapability and maneuverability and a little bit of, um, his issues would be he, of course needs to work on the red zone. So he isn't very good in the red zone when he did start. But again, that was behind that abysmal offensive line with no weapons. Uh, so now he's got some of the best, some of the best weapons uh, in the NFL are Jacoby Brissett's, and that's behind that offensive line. So I have high hopes. I mean, one of the reasons that Jacoby Brissett is even notable in the NFL is because in a game he stepped in for the Patriots, they beat who? The Houston Texans, twenty-seven to nothing. That's how he got his name. Uh, in the NFL was beating the Texans in a regular season uh, coming into play for uh, Tom Brady. Well, it's for Garoppolo. Whenever Garoppolo was injured, it was Garoppolo. Whenever he hurt his Garoppolo. shoulder, and they were two and zero, and then yeah, they came in one on Thursday night football because they figured out how to stop uh, Brock Osweiler from throwing downfield by playing two safeties instead of one safety, 
And yep. that's what kind of rooted there. But yeah, I mean, like he was really fast that game. I think he only completed like nine passes or so and uh, took advantage of short field and had like one really big run. Um, yep. I guess the one question I have uh, just about the offensive line is I know Joe Haig started at uh, the beginning of the year. I know Jamarcus Webb started at the beginning of the year. And then Brand Smith didn't really start right tackle until the Colts game. And the Costanza def- uh, dealt with injuries as well, too. And uh, or I mean, the Patriots mm-hmm. game. And Raven Clark started tackle, too. So I know Brandon Smith didn't move and start right tackle until later on in the year. And I know, mm-hmm. like, he was, te- he, was usually, he was supposed to play guard. I know they made that switch later on in the year. And uh, I really enjoyed watching him play last year, too. He was one of the few yeah. guys I've ever seen, like, walk down J.J. Watt. Uh, I think, you know, Anthony Costanzo is probably the worst offensive lineman on this roster. He's, like, uh, he's fine. Like, he's good. Uh, but he's not like a lock, lockdown left tackle by any means. And then the interior is very good as well, too. But I really love uh, you know, Smith. I think he's my favorite player on this offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's big, big boy. And a lot of people didn't see that pick coming. But I think obviously obviously with, with Andrew Luck retiring, it's, pre- it's pretty prevalent that, you know, the Colts have made some big strides at, uh, along the offensive line. And I will say, of any of the players I expect to leave the Colts within the next year, I think it's Anthony Costanzo. Because if he gets – I actually pointed this out on our podcast earlier uh, this week, that if Anthony Costanzo gets hurt, who replaces him? And if it's Loraven Clark, we might as well just pack it up. Um, because, like you said, he, he may not be the best lineman on this offensive line, but he is at the most important position. Um, and it would be a real, real beaten if Anthony Costanzo gets injured this year, but I could also see him not being on this team next year. Yeah. I would, I'd be interested to see what Clark could do at tackle. I know he primarily played guard like his, mm-hmm. his rookie year and he was all flat it. And like some guys just can't play guard. They don't have the size for it. Uh, yeah. And I know he played tackle last year and wasn't very good at that too. I know that that Texans game, they were able to get a lot of pass rush in the exterior, uh, and they beat up on on Clark in that one too. But who knows? Yeah. In like you know, year four of a guy's career. So I think I think it sounds like you feel better about Brissett. I know last time he was the starter, uh, he was knocked 112 times. The Colts ranked mm-hmm. 30th in points scored a game. Uh, their offense was pretty much just like slow power running, plotting with Frank Gore, uh, throw the ball to T.Y. Hilton, throw the ball to Jack Doyle for like five yards a catch. Uh, so this year with a better situation. The Colts also added, um, they add Paris Campbell to this offense. They have they had Devin Funches. They have a top five offensive line. I really like Marlon Mack. He missed four games last year. I think he'll have like probably 1,200 uh, rushing yards this year, maybe more than that. And he'll probably have like 300 carries. Uh, what are you expecting from Brissett this year? Do you think he can be a good quarterback, especially considering the fact that this isn't a guy who is just like an emergency quarterback coming out of nowhere? He's practiced with the offense all summer. He's been here for you know two years. He was in Frank Reich's offense all last year. Uh, what are you expecting from Brissett? Can he be a good enough quarterback for the Colts to not like you know plummet from ten wins to seven wins? No, and I, uh, for the record, I have every expectation that Jacoby Brissett is a top twenty quarterback in the league, uh, just like Frank Reich and uh, Chris Ballard have said. Uh, the, the reality is. If I just took Jacoby Brissett's name out of the picture and you didn't know anything about that this quarterback and I just told you that uh, a two-program, 10-win starter in college in a Power 5, in both power, in two Power 5 conferences goes to the New England Patriots and gets tutelage under Tom Brady, coached by Bill Belichick, and then gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts where they hire Frank Reich, right? He gets tutelage under Andrew Luck. And then he's 6'4", 235, probably closer to 250 playing weight. Um, Good escape ability, makes every throw that you have. But also doesn't have to be the focal point of your offense and be otherworldly for you to be competitive in a football game. So that was one of the things we were looking up today in terms of how elite of a thrower Andrew Luck is. How many elite throws do you think he had last year? He threw the ball 629 times. How many of those throws are, are only Andrew Luck capable of? 10%? I mean, I think it's an impossible question to answer. 
Right, it, it really is. Like, how, how many of the throws that Andrew Ludd made in that offense where they're trying to get the ball out in the first three seconds, right? We still can't run a screen, but the, the reality is the offense is predicated on, on a, a dynamic running game of a bunch of mismatches. Offensively, they, they just present, you know, they have a 6-4 wide receiver, they have two tight ends that are great receiving targets, and, and re- realistically, four, right? Moali Cox, rumors are he's transformed as a player. Ross Travis and Jacoby Brissett have good rapport as well, so that, that's all four tight ends. And then, like you said, they have T.Y. Hilton is a stalwart in this league and a problem for everybody. They have Devin Funches, Paris Campbell, Naheem Hines is a mismatch, Marlon Mack, uh, the more they used Marlon Mack last year, the better he was. So the more they put the ball in his hands, the better he plays. Um, and like you said, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if they they get spread the they just like with Andrew Luck, they spread the ball around. You can't you can't lock one guy down and shut down that whole team. You know there are a lot of teams in the NFL. If you stop this person, the whole game's over. And I think that the way that this team is being developed they're taking away those elite throws that only andrew luck can make and they're making it into an organization where every single person is important but every single person is replaceable okay yeah i mean i think the thing about brissa is i think it's kind of impossible to have any idea what he'll do in 2019 like i think he'll be better than he was in 2017 but like right. he was interesting, like he, you know, he was athletic. He has a good arm, yeah. but he had trouble throwing the ball downfield with accuracy. He locked on his first reads a lot of the time. Um, he yeah. did hold onto the ball too long at times and took some dumb sacks. He had trouble against yeah. the blitz, but like that was when he was twenty five years old. He's twenty seven now. He's in a much better situation. And so I really have no idea at all what to project with Brissett this year. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch him play. Uh, he was like interesting, you know, two years ago, and so it'll be fun to see what he can do this year. But I really, I have no feel at all what to project for him for the 2019 season. I think he could be, you know, somewhere between like uh, below average to good. And I think, uh, I think it's it's really it's just really hard to have an idea of what he can do this year. So one of the things in research that I got for hope, right? Because that's all that's all we have left. Um, we don't have Andrew Luck, but we do have hope. Um, in 2017. Jacoby Brissett was 30th in the NFL in quarterback rating. And behind him was Mitch Trubisky. And so, you know, I don't think of Mitch Trubisky typically as like an elite quarterback, top five in the NFL, but he was third in the NFL in 2018 in QBR. So on the one hand, I understand middling expectations given his floor – Right, I think we saw his floor behind a bad offensive line with no weapons. He completes fifty-eight point eight percent of his um, attempts. He had thirteen touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, but his inter- interception rate was only one point two five, which is lower than Andrew Lux in his career. Uh, he was sacked a whole bunch, but he also had four hundred yards rushing and four touchdowns. And oh, who else averages about four hundred yards a year rushing and four touchdowns? Andrew Luck. So. They're not comparable. They're not certainly not the same player. Andrew Luck is a once-in-a-generation athlete. Remember that he ran a what, like a sub four six nine forty. That he's an ex- very strong uh, and a very good athlete. And Jacoby Brissett is not on that quite quite that level of athlete, but he has had two years to work on it. And you'd like to think if he's going to step in and be the starter and took all those reps. He's in shape, ready to play, knows the offense. They're going to tailor it to his strengths. They're going to focus on one week at a time. And I think, I don't know, like I said, I don't expect them to be otherworldly, but I also don't expect them to ask him to be. I think that if you just run their offense, you'll be fine, mm-hmm. right? Do what you're supposed to do, uh, and you'll be fine. Um so I, I had a quick question about the skill players. So they did sign Funches last year. They drafted Paris Campbell. Um, yeah. So the two questions I have, what do you think about Campbell and Funches entering this offense? And then also I think I would expect Brissett to 
take them a little bit of time, you know, maybe a month, maybe five weeks, maybe, you know, three weeks or whatever to get you know, accustomed to being a starting quarterback again. And during that time period, do you think Marlon Mack has the ability to kind of carry this offense to be the driver for it until Brissett uh, kind of understands how to be a starting quarterback again? Yeah, I th- like I said, I think that while I, I ex- expect that Brissett is prepared, that as long as Marlon Mack and that offensive line are healthy, how much do you expect to put the ball in Jacoby's hands and have him win the game for you? None, right? You could do it all with that offensive line. Um, and that Marlon Mack, if he's able to, to shoulder that the, 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 mo- the bulk of the carries, um, because he is the most capable uh, back, uh, Naheem Hines and, and Jordan Wilkins uh, will certainly be able to, to offer him some support. And like I said, I really expect the Colts to spread it around. So to answer your question, like Devin Funches is a, na- a matchup nightmare, particularly in the red zone. He's just a big body receiver, and he's good at getting open. And, you know, he has the same reputation that Eric Ebron had coming to Indianapolis to having stone hands, but nobody ever accused Matt Stafford or uh, what's the other quarterback's name? Matt Stafford or Cam Newton of having any touch. So the reality is, is you don't really know what you're going to get out of a lot of people, but people like Devin Funches, who's, who's been accused of having stone hands, you have to wonder how that will translate. But again, like I said, they've just had so much time together this off season um, that I have high expectations because preparation is key, right? You know, I'm an Eagle scout, be prepared, right? So as, as long as you're prepared, if you go out there and realize that, you know, we can't replace Andrew Luck, but everybody can do their job and we'll be fine until, until like you said, until Jacoby catches fire. Right. And then, I expect, like I said, I don't expect them to stress him. Um, I expect them to work within an offense. And you think about what the Eagles did when Frank Reich was OC and they lost Carson Wentz. And Nick Foles stepped in and looked fantastic uh, in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, got to get there. And so I know Paris Campbell's been kind of out in the preseason. You mentioned the Stars didn't play very much at all this year. Uh, nope. what, what role do you think he fits into this offense? Uh, he's... He has the potential to be a dynamic playmaker that they're going to use in a variety of roles. And I'm not going to dodge that he's being called a gadget player. I just think he's a better athlete than that and that he's someone that you want to get double-digit touches to in a variety of ways because he can, you know, it's he can score from anywhere. Uh, that's what he's kind of shown. He's just got that kind of highlight reel speed. Uh, and so I, I would I would look to work him into the offense, run things like jet sweeps, uh, little screens. I just I'd look to get him set up to catch the ball in space and just see what he can make happen. Um, so that's one of the things that we know that we're going to have to do, right? In the AFC, you got a lot of high powered offenses, right? The 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 real defenses are in the NFC. Um. So yeah, the the reality is. If you can run the ball and not turn it over, you'll be just fine. Okay. Um, so I guess the so defensively, I think this is kind of the, the most important thing for the Colts because if you are playing like a run the ball, uh, quick passing kind of ball control offense, your defense has to be good enough to keep the game close and give you a lead. So last year the Colts played the easiest schedule in football. They played the easiest defensive schedule in football. They started off uh, the end of the season going 9-1, and one. And during that 9-1 win streak, the only loss they had was a 6-0 loss to the Jaguars they, where they failed to convert on all four of their fourth-down conversion attempts. Now, the two best teams they beat during that run was, depending on how you feel, it's either Dallas and they shut them out or Houston. But they, they played an easy schedule, and, uh, and they kind of feast on some bad offense during that run like a lot of teams in the AFC South were able to last year uh, with the way the schedule broke for them. But this year it's different. This year they had to play the Chiefs, and they had to play the Chargers, they had to play the Falcons and the rest of the NFC South. And the Colts won't have that same sort of schedule luck. Now, I, I kind of feel adamant that I think Ballard had an awful offseason until Andrew Luck retired, where when you have $100 plus million in cap space, you have four top 100 picks, and the most you do to add to a defense with a lot of you know, building blocks and like dependable players, you add Justin Houston, and that's pretty much it. And, uh, and also you know your three draft picks that you add in the, in the top four uh, picks that were defensive players too. But it's like, 
with that potential, without window, with the windows being so narrow in football that you may have two or three years to really go for it, I thought it was a really disappointing offseason. And especially when you consider, you know, how the pass rush worked last year as well, too. So give uh, give me Ballard's reasoning. And I guess if you liked his offseason, uh, give a defense to it. And let, and also, do you think this Colts defense will be better this year, even though they play a much more difficult schedule as to play all these really great passing offenses? So that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, and I'll send you a few links. Uh, it said, you know, they had the the schedule was weak and easy. The If I Google 2018 NFL strength of schedule, ESPN, CBS Sports are the two top links, and they show the Colts have the 21st strength schedule and the Texans have 32nd. I never saw the Texans had a good schedule, though. I'm saying I'm right. the Colts, well, said, and I'm not going the by. Weakest, the weakest schedule I'm in not, the NFL. But again, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about opposing offenses. I'm not talking about win-loss yeah. record. I'm going by opposing offenses by DVOA. I'm not talking about win-loss record. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, because so, win-loss um, record doesn't mean as much. Win-loss record is more of a fluky stat and doesn't measure performance as well as uh, some other statistics do because, again, schedule is really important in a small sample yeah. size. Sure. Uh, so the the reality is the Colts were on, you know, when we when we went into the offseason, uh, and, you know, Stampy Blue does the, the draft guide, right? And when we were looking out, uh, at the future for the Colts, we were saying, like, okay, they obviously need a, a stalwart, pass rusher they got one justin houston uh they need a a wide receiver that is a, ma- a matchup nightmare got him devin funches and then the draft will kind of have to fall to us because we don't have a high pick uh we like you said we have four picks in the top 100 um and i i like all of them seem like they're gonna stick there will be questions about, you know, Marvell Tell, whether or not he'll make the team. But with the Colts trading Harrison, that means he probably gets kept. Uh, so, yeah, the the Colts didn't have a lot of – they weren't trying to replace 10 starters. I think they returned something like 18 or 19 of 22 now with the Los Angeles Luck. I know they were, they were missing a uh, starter prior to losing Luck, so it puts them at – at 20 returning 20 starters you're only really picking up a couple starters that's houston and and funchess and then the rest of your team is just building through youth um it's exactly how i would uh, build an organization the data tells you teams that invest heavily in free agency aren't winning super bowls teams that are built and have consistency and build through the draft and invest lightly in free agency and and do the smart thing these are the teams winning uh, well, I guess I guess what I'm trying to make is that I I you know I completely agree with you. The better way to build a team is by using the draft and by yeah. uh, getting as many draft picks as possible because that's pretty much a lottery. And also, this is cost-effective talent where it's a lot cheaper. But whenever yeah. you whenever you have a roster that's built like it seemed like the Colts had last year, that's whenever you take the opportunity to go into free agency and kind of go in and maximize your talent level and your ability to win. You know that year at that time. Uh, because in football, like you know, because of injuries, because of the shortened uh, careers that, pl- that players have, you know, those opportunities are very rare. Like most teams only get you know three years at, it and that's it. And then they have to completely rebuild, and you know they kind of fall apart. Uh, I think Seattle is a really great example of it. You can even say that Jacksonville is a good example of how they, using free agency, and they got one year out of it, and they may have another year this year. Uh, who knows? And New England's like really the only team that's been able to consistently just sit back and. Uh, and turn out and turn off the bottom of the roster and, and be okay for it. But I I, I thought it was very I, I would say I wouldn't say frustrating is the word, but I thought it was uh, very strange. I thought it was a, a bad move not to invest more in free agency, especially on the pass rushing side of the ball. Um, Shears their best pass rusher. He's probably gonna miss week one. Justin Houston's gonna be thirty years old this year. He's you know he only played twelve games last year. He only had nine sacks. He had thirty one pressures, but like he wasn't the same sort of player. And they're also not using Houston as just a bullpen arm who's going to come in and you have 25 pass rushing snaps. They're expecting him to play every single down. He's not a very good run defender at all either. Autry had seven sacks, but these were like kind of cleanup sacks. He didn't generate consistent pressure. Uh, I like I like Lewis. I like Taquan Lewis. Uh, I know they have Kamiko Ture, who uh, you know is, has, is a really interesting story. And they're in their second year this year too. And so like Ballard went completely on in on. Yeah, I'm just going to retain talent. I'm going to expect improvement by in-house development. But I think what we always see in football is that with the short sample size, 
uh, and everything else that progression isn't typically linear where you just can't expect an immediate, you know, you just can't expect that you just go up the next flight of stairs over and over again until you reach the next point. And so I thought it was kind of, and that was a weird decision to make, but at the same time, now that Luck has retired and you have Brissett at quarterback and you have an unknown at quarterback and you, you're not entirely sure what you have there, I think it ended up being a, a, a good offseason for him because the last thing you want is an expensive roster where you don't know who your quarterback is or you don't have a quarterback. And so I think everything ended up working out well for the Colts, but with luck at quarterback, I think this was a, a bad offseason for Ballard. Yeah, I, one of the things that we had kind of acknowledged and even been told by Chris Ballard is that you know this is year two of a three-year rebuild. So my thought process was I wouldn't spend a bunch of money in for, in the offseason this year. I would do it next going into next year because that's year three of your rebuild. That's when you're in full swing, and that's when your roster is at its strongest. Now, obviously, just like you said, with Andrew Luck retiring, well, thank goodness we didn't blow a bunch of money in free agency. But the idea with accepting the knowledge that improvement is not linear, it's the, the expectation of being good at picking players and picking players who are dedicated to the their craft that are always going to work to improve. Uh, you want to be able to pay those guys to stick around because that's what New England did is re-sign the guys that are irreplaceable, that have made themselves irreplaceable, and to let guys go that can be otherworldly. But if you're replaceable, if it's your attitude, um, if it's your work ethic, they'll address it. And I, I like I said, I like I like the direction the Colts are headed. Yeah, I like the direction they're headed. I just, I again, like I think whenever you have the opportunity – you have to make the most out of it, and uh, and whenever you don't, you know you kind of next like so many things can change, you know right away. And even if you have this idea, this is year two of rebuild two years ago. I think that plan changes pretty quickly based off uh, the year that they had last year. And so I think Ballard just pretty much doubled down himself. I think he's completely confident in his ability as a mm-hmm. an evaluator of talent, as ability to draft. Uh, what he did such a good job of just like finding Kenny Moore and Pierre Desir, for example, uh, the things that he's done there has been you know, spectacular. And I just I just think when the opportunity is there, you have to go for it. And it kind of ended up uh, working out too. So uh, let's talk about their pass rush a little bit more. Last year, they were 25th in pressure rate. They were 38 in sacks. Uh, so what are you, are you expecting maybe Taquan Lewis to have a breakout, the, breakout year or Turi to have a breakout year? What are you expecting from Benoga this year? Do you think he can be something more than just a really good uh, stunner, a really good looper from the outside? Or do you think he can win one-on-one matchups this year are you expecting a big jump from this pass rush at all so i think they've certainly invested resources in it and they have the talent to have a pretty standout pass rush but it's all going to be in application right so in terms of uh who i'd expect uh, i would expect um Houston to be used efficiently and to perform and be probably be the sack leader. And if he isn't the sack leader and he isn't effective, then I would expect uh, Toure or Sheard to do that. And then in terms of, you know, I'm trying to figure out what Bonogu is going to do. We really don't know. You know, we we really know that the the defense is lean and long uh, and Slices in there and and makes tackles at the point of contact. So, I, re- I really fully expect that if Marcus Hunt isn't a defensive starter, then your defensive line is probably pretty good uh, because he did he was an impact player for the Colts uh, since he's been here. So he's not even a starter. So I expect that that the entire unit has been elevated, and that the depth that there's good depth there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think Hunt's fine. I think he, he had a really good first four weeks, first five weeks, and then kind of fell off from there. Uh, and I, I like I, I love Sheard, and he's one of my favorite players in the league, and it kind of sucks how underrated he is. I love the, I love anybody who can rush from the exterior and the interior, and he has such right. good hands too, and he's, suit, and he's great against the run also, and he's kind of fun to watch. So can you give uh, all Texans fans who are listening to this kind of PSA about how good Sheard is and why they should appreciate watching him play? He's just a big guy, right? He's just this big, broad-shouldered, barrel-chested, just long arms, and he he just fights through uh, any any 
angle of attack that he wants, he gets. Uh, he'll disrupt at the line of scrimmage uh, and stifle the run, and he'll also pressure the pass rusher. Uh, so just having the versatility, which is one of the things the Colts are drafting toward, is drafting people that can play multiple positions, that can do the kind of things that get you excited about a, a guy like, like Sheard is his versatility, uh, is that you're going to see him line up all over the that defensive front and when he's in the game, he is an impact player, meaning he's he has a high rate of effect on the game in in you know within that framework of that offensive line defensive line battle, right? right? Um, but yeah, it's it's not often that they talk about versatile players, particularly what the NFL is about is sacks, is you know interceptions, touchdowns, the big things, and they don't particularly care for being a versatile player being a good pass rusher and a good run defender, that might not even get you an all-pro nod, right? But if you have 10 interceptions on defense, you could have given up 20 touchdowns. If you have 10 interceptions, the fans are going to vote you to the Pro Bowl anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So Jabal Shear just just is a unique a unique player that isn't tied to a single, you know, he doesn't have to play zero technique, head up, nose tackle, and that's all he's good for, right? He can play wide. And out in the nines, um, so yeah, it'd be it'd be fun if you know. Of course, it's, it's, uh, that's of course assuming he comes back, he's healthy, uh, and he's in shape. Uh, he's a force uh, inside and out. It's a it's a it's a unique position to be in to get to watch something like that. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you as far as interceptions, sacks, touchdowns. I think it's I think sacks are my least favorite stat because they completely. Like I think it's sacks are the end results of like consistent you know pressure typically they can fluctuate so much year to year and you can get you know pressures and quarterback hits and be consistently winning your blocks but the ball is out too quickly or you just miss or you're rushing too wide or you get the more difficult matchup and it and it skews a lot of those numbers and I think too often we just look at the sack number and we have no idea and it doesn't paint a good picture at all of if that player is you know an impact player or not I think Jade Van Clowney like getting nine sacks every year or seven sacks is a perfect example where he's now under as a pass rusher because people only look at sack numbers. Right. That's all they look at. Because I know, I know she had five and a half last year and five and a half the year before, and I think it completely diminishes like how good of a player he's been in Indianapolis. And he was one of those like great Ballard finds that he's done such a good job at, at picking up. Yeah. So the, the Colts played a lot of nickel last year. Uh, this is what happens when you have Darius Leonard, who was an all-pro as a rookie, who's like watching Luke Keekley. Uh, and the fact that he can cover guys in the slot, he can patrol the center of the field in zone coverage, he can spy the quarterback, he can blitz, he can run past guards and tackles who try to block him the second level make plain tackles for a loss. I think he was only second to Keekley in, uh, in stops last year. Either one of him were... were they, I know they were, went one and two. I can't remember if the order was Keekley or Leonard or Leonard or Keekley, but they're, they're a similar mold of player. And uh, they had Anthony Walker as the linebacker next to him too. So the Colts play a lot of nickel. They rush, they rush four a lot of time. Uh, whenever they play nickel, they like to move Kenny Moore to the slot and the, uh, Quincy Wilson outside. Do you think the Colts are going to play a similar style of defense this year where they play a lot of nickel, or are you expecting them to maybe be, you know, maybe play more base, uh, or are you just kind of expecting the same sort of thing this year from this defense? So I don't know how to answer that directly because when – the way I perceive the way they should move forward is to just evolve your defense week to week for your opponent and focus on like what they're bad at and what, you know, here's what they're trying to do. Here's what's good against what they're doing. And if that's rush for play nickel, fine. But one of the things that we saw, particularly in the playoffs, if you'll recall the Kansas city game is that the Colts were unable to play man defense in the red zone and in short yardage situations, which mm-hmm. is critical. you got to be able to do that. Um, and they were, uh, and it's not that they weren't able to stop the run. It's just that they, they didn't have all of the pieces. They were a piece or two away. And that's like a pass rusher and another cornerback they needed. And they got, um, but yeah, I think that from my perspective, what I want to see is I want to see pressure from all over the field. I don't, I don't want a pass rush specialist. I want, players that fill up the stat sheet just like Darius Leonard's all over the field I, I I envision a roster full of Darius Leonard's where everyone is just wild about getting to that tackle and I want to I want 16 tackles a game um 
And I think that if you can create pass uh, pressure from everywhere, which we saw last year, a, a lot of blitzer blitzing from cornerbacks. Um, and I think that having those, you know, those good core linebackers and Walker and Leonard, and then adding just additional pieces and just building out this defense to be a bunch of maniacs <laughs> uh, is, is ultimately uh <laughs> I'm really, I like I said, I'm really excited about the defense, which which finished pretty good last. You know, I finished playing pretty good football last year. Yeah, I uh, I think what's interesting about this defense is the selection of Rocky Sin, because I think now they can play more zone coverage if they want to. I know Yasin's, you know, he's he's slower, he doesn't that top speed, he has some problems kind of staying with guys in man coverage, uh, but he's he's so strong and he's brutal. I think if he understands how to use his upper body better, he can be like a press man uh, corner as well on the outside. But I think right. it, it allows him to have you know, four different cornerbacks with four different skill sets, and it allows them to be more multiple with their coverages too, which I think is uh, is really important where they can play cover three, they can leave them out, they can play man, uh, they can still keep doing things like blitzing Kenny Moore from the slot, which is one of my favorite things in the league to see. I love watching uh, Moore come screaming around and just leaping around a quarterback's throat. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I love, I love any any time. Like I said, anytime pressure comes from unexpected places, right? Like when a defensive tackle just mauls a center, it's pretty exciting to me, right? I'm like, whoa! Like what happened on that down? You know, I hope he doesn't do that all afternoon. He's gonna ruin the game. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Rocky Sin pick. I think, of course, if you're if you're a Colts fan and you saw the Colts trade back and you were looking at who's available. Um, that's not who we thought they'd pick, but he was in the range of pickable players. And then when you learn a little bit of that backstory about earning that single-digit number at Temple and how that's for the strongest and the toughest players, and then finding out he's bodying Devin Funches in camp and ha- you know had that interception against them, and hey man, you can you can say a lot about the unknown and talk about things that we kind of quite haven't figured out. But one of the things we know is that Rocky Hassan is a full blown football player. Like he's for real. He is, he'll hit, he'll hit you, he'll cover you, uh, moves well, stays on his man, isn't handsy and can play, play that little, you know, got to put the ball on a dime and take it right out of your hand. Uh, game. He's he's got the the full game and like you said he could play man coverage which is again that's one of the things I thought was a problem is the inability to do that when you have to have it right yeah I think he can play man if he can learn how to play press man coverage I think he'll struggle playing you know off man or playing you know typical like five yards off the line of scrimmage uh, right. until he learns how to use that. his upper body yeah and I think. <laughs> Yeah, I just think they can do a lot of different things in their secondary. Like they don't have like a top tier cornerback. A lot of teams in the league don't have that. I don't think they have. I think they have like guys who can do everything as far as play competent man coverage, uh, have good ball instincts, and also can play the run. But they don't have like an upper top tier cornerback. But I think that that means less whenever you have you know six six or seven different cornerbacks and uh, and second defensive backs who can come in and out like that too. And I think the most yeah. interesting player for the secondary is Malik Hooker. Uh, coming out of college, like he looked like an Earl Thomas sort of player, where he can play from the center of the field to the sideline and make impact plays on the ball. Like you can't even throw the ball to the middle of the field with him there. And so, but he's never had like the tangible production that you'd expect to see from a player of his caliber. Like he's looked great on film, he's made some great plays, but it's still missing, you know, a 16 game resume. So you think this is a year where Hooker finally has, you know, like six interceptions or so, and the Colts are one of the best deep pass defenses in the league. Or is this going to be more kind of a, a byproduct of their cornerback play being better? Yeah, so that that would be the question, right? Is the teams just go ahead and avoid Malik Hooker altogether? Uh, like a lot, what they did last year was try to go away from him. Um, or does he just become all that he was supposed to be, right? Like, I'll, I'll never forget that draft because you, you had to wonder – when you saw Malik Hooker available, whether or not the Colts are going to take him. And, the, and when they took him, you were like, oh, wow, they, they saw what we saw, uh, that he's a dy- he's a dynamic safety, uh, that he makes great plays on the ball. And I, I always feel like if they're not throwing at you and you're not getting picks, it's because they're not trying you. They're going away from you. And like you said, 
guys don't quite put up the the numbers or the production, the the stuff that Vogel should have Pro Bowl for. Uh, but he's made a lot of plays. And uh, if there's a year where the defense needs a, a player like Malik Hooker to put it all together for a year, this is that year, right? I mean, you need to put the ball back in the offense's hands and give Jacoby Brissett another try. Um, but yeah, he's 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 young and he's got time to he's still time to develop, and he's and he's already pretty pretty good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite uh, Malik Hooker stat was that like the average pass that went against him traveled twenty five point seven yards down the field, which was the the highest number in the league, and the 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 adjusted adjusted yards he gave up per pass was. 17.3 yards was just the case of whenever they whenever he was targeted, he was way downfield, and he kind of just controlled the the deep middle part. And I think with him, and then also the selection of Rocky Sin, like the Colts can play a lot of cover three, they can play a lot of cover four, they can play cover two. I don't think there's a coverage that they can't play except for you know, man coverage against teams like Kansas City where you have to deal with you know, Kelsey and you know, four other great pass catchers. And they did struggle covering running backs and tight ends last year in general too. But uh, yeah, like I'm excited to watch the secondary. I just wish the pass rush was better for this year. Yeah, right. Well, obviously, that's before we've really played it down. So I'd I'd lo- I'd love to you know have eat crow on that and the Colts pass rush be dynamic and elite. But it's just like we've said, when you're creating pressure from multiple positions, you're going to spread out that pressure. So it'll be like a team win and not you know an individual showing up. So it may not be sheared. It may not be to Ray, it may not be Houston, maybe somebody completely different. Um, but like I said, it is a balanced, I feel like it's a balanced attack uh, from the front end and the back end, and being able to run multiple schemes keeps your opponents guessing, and and that's about as good as you can expect from a defense, right? To be able to play multiple schemes, generate pressure from multiple points of attack, uh, give the ball back to your offense, turn that ball over, uh, you're, putting your, you're putting your offense in the best possible position, and you know, like you said, they, they didn't do a ton, but I think that they've certainly taken steps in the right direction. At least got themselves a veteran pass rusher that's still active in the league to give tutelage to the younger players. It's you know, and that's never a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, last year their pressure was pretty multiple. I think, uh, I mean, they were twenty fifth in pressure rate, but I can look at the numbers real fast. I know they're whenever you separate their pressure or their number of sacks that they had, they had. Oh, they had yeah they had, well they had seven they had twenty three point seven percent of their sacks from their defensive line which was seventeenth and they had twenty five percent of their uh, sacks from the second level which was fifteenth and they blitzed DBs on eight uh, percent of all their snaps which was eighteenth in football so like they were like not one way or the other this wasn't like right. the Detroit Lions for example who had all their sacks from their linebackers but they were just uh, they did a bunch of different things last year and they were a lot of fun to watch yeah. So the, the other thing about the Colts that always interests me, now after watching these Ballard teams, like I had no idea that Sheard was that good. And then two years ago, I was like, I watched that Ravens game. I was like, this guy is you know, phenomenal. And then last year, Kenny Moore comes out of nowhere. Pierre Desire comes out of nowhere. Eric Ebron comes out of nowhere and has a great year. He catches 12 touchdown patch, passes. Uh, Brandon Smith becomes one of my favorite tackles in the league. And, uh, and like he's just he's really great at his job. You know, Even though I don't like the fact that he wasn't as aggressive this offseason, I still think he's one of the best GMs in football, and uh, and like he's always so good at finding these kind of you know, second tier players, these players nobody knows him about. So well, after watching the Colts all training camp and all preseason, what are who are some players out there that uh, people like most of the people in the country who don't follow the Colts every day may not know about who should have an impact right away and that we should keep our eyes out for? Okay, so I would watch, like I said, I would watch this same. I would watch this team with the same fear of God that if Andrew Luck was behind center. And in, in this roster is about as, as about as close to complete as you could get. Um, and our ex, our expectation doesn't change much. Um, there are players we didn't really talk about that are going to have a big impact for the Colts. And my rookie impact player is Kari Willis, um, the safety. I think that, He'll get a lot of play. I think he comes downhill and hits uh, hits hard and makes plays in the run game, and that's exactly the kind of safety the Colts would look at with you know with gathers and yeah, just I like go far I away. And I don't think know? I think gathers is mediocre. So I think 
you know, Willis coming in playing, you know, really well right away. I think he could even take over for Gathers because like Gathers is fine. Uh, I just yeah. don't think he's like he's not going to have a bunch of negative plays at all. He's not going to have a bunch of high impact plays. Yeah, Willis got a lot of a lot of promise there, and then offensively, there are two. Uh, my first personal one is Mo Ali Cox. Uh, he's just got massive hands. Apparently, he has turned it completely around. Uh, not really turned it around, but turned it up. Uh, and just become a completely different dynamic player. Uh, and I get it. Statistically, even Jacoby Brissett loves loves him some, Eric, um, some Jack Doyle. Uh, and then Eric Ebron also had a big year last year. Uh, but remember, Jacoby Brissett really likes his tight ends. So does so does Frank Reich. So I would I like thinking about Mo Ali Cox as an emerging tight end. And then I'm really interested to see who outplays who between Paris Campbell, the rookie red receiver out of Ohio State. And then I'm real interested to see what happens with Deion Kane. Um. Deion Kane, of course, tore his ACL last year in the first preseason game. And then the Colts documented his recovery, brother. And when a franchise spends money to document your recovery, I think it's because they see a lot of potential in the kid. Uh, and while right now, you know, you go down the Colts roster and you're like, well, you got T.Y. is definitely your best receiver. Devin Funches is probably the two. Then you have Paris Campbell. You have uh, Chester Rogers. You're probably keeping Deion Kane and maybe like a Zach Pascal. But I'm not saying is Paris Campbell going to be the one and Deion Kane be the two. No, I'm saying you got Paris Campbell three and I think Deion Kane at the four. And which of those players has a, a breakout year? Um, so I, I can kind of go either way. I think that those guys have a lot of potential and you just kind of see who, who, who gets the ball. Uh, and who's, you know, you got to feed the hot hand. That's kind of how NFL offenses get called. Um, so we'll just kind of see. But the the Colts present a very young team, and it's kind of hard to follow if you're, you're just a, you know, kind of a ho-hum fan of the Colt, of football in general. The Colts are going to be hard to follow because they're young. And because they don't go out and spend a bunch of money on free agents and buy the biggest name in the market every year to try to be competitive. They're building through their franchise. Their players are young. I always say it's easier to make a, a college football fan into a Colts fan because the Colts are drafting uh, a lot of prominent college football players, right? They're, they're focusing their 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 money and you know their their stockpiling draft picks for this upcoming draft. They've already got ten picks, uh, so the team's just going to continue to spit out young successful college football players turned pro player. And so, like I said, I would look at like a Kari Willis. I would look at like a Paris Campbell or Deion Kane to be the, the breakout players for the Colts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen some, some tweets and some like highlight videos of Kane here and there. I didn't know who he was at all until, uh, until recently this training camp in preseason, but yeah, he does mm-hmm. seem, and I know Mo call Mo Ali Cox just like loves to catch passes with one hand, but hasn't had like a super productive season. And so I'm expecting Ebron to regress this year. I don't think he's going to have 12 touchdown catches. And so maybe Mo Ali Cox can help fill that red zone role this year too. Yeah, absolutely. Big target, big hands. So the so my last question for you is: What would you con- what would constitute a successful season for you for the Colts this year? Uh, and what is your record prediction for them? And how do you think their season ends? What constitutes a successful season for the Colts is being relatively injury free and playing to your potential every week. Uh, and just like the, the mantra of the Colts is get better every day. Um, and I, I think even if Andrew Luck were here, present, healthy, and starting, I would say the Colts are going to go 12-4. and four. Um, I, I would have picked them to go to the Super Bowl but not win it because, like I said, the real defenses are in the NFC, the real offenses are in the NFC. Um, but it would be crazy to keep my expectations at the same level. I think the baseline expectation for the team is eight and eight, but I think that the roster's good enough that as long as they don't ask too much of Jacoby Brissett, as long as they lean on their playmakers, and as long as they maintain some relative health, 
there's a very real possibility they win 10 games, win their division, just like most of the pundits are still saying, like the roster's good enough to win that division. Uh, that means uh, I don't think there are other teams in the division that win nine games. Uh, so I pick, figure the Colts will win 10 um, and go to the playoffs and maybe win a game. And maybe maybe Jacoby Brissett's good enough to sign to a long-term deal. But this is his audition, and he's in a contract year. And he's he's in a heck of a position just – I get it, you know, losing Andrew Luck and everybody's like, oh, it's all over. No. No, it's it's over after the last game ends. And I just, I just, I see it as the Colts are built for the future, but they're they're capable now. And even though the schedule is more difficult, look at look at what San Diego or San Diego. Look at what the Chargers are missing week one. Uh, no Derwin James, no Melvin Gordon. No, their tackles out. What other than Andrew Luck not playing? What what logic says the Colts can't go in there and get a win against a team that's down four starters, right? Yeah, I know. And I, can, I know. I just think I think Luck is you know really good and he's really integral to yeah. success. And like you don't know what you have in Brissett. I think Brissett's probably gonna be like in. If I had guess, I would say like the most likely outcome is that he's average this year. And I think the team is, is good, but I think it lacks like the elite upper talent. And I think it's a solid roster. It's deep. It's dependable. I think they can deal with injuries well. Uh, and I think Luck made this team like a lot better just because of his ability. Because, again, I just don't see like the, the top-end talent um, on this roster that you typically have for a team that you know wins 10 games without having a, uh, a like really great quarterback on it. Right. And the schedule also, again, is much tougher this year for the Colts than it was last year. And I think that's an important part of the season, too. Uh, so, personally, I think the Colts are... I think if Houston trades to Davon Clowney, they're going to win six games. I think the Titans win seven games. I think the Colts finish third, and they either go like 7-9 or 8-8. Eight and eight. And as of now, I'm picking the, the Jaguars to win the division. But I think, like, if Brissett's a good quarterback this year, they'll compete for the division for a potential wildcard spot. And they have every, they have all the potential in the world to win ten games. I just have no idea what to expect from Brissett, and uh, and like it's hard for me to think he's going to be good this year. I think he'll be at least average, but I don't know. And I, I don't think the roster has the lead talent to make up for that difference in average and really good that they have with Luck. Uh, if Brissett's just average this year, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to watch the Colts play this year. And I think it's a big testament to what Ballard's done to be able to have a roster where. You do lose luck, and they have the, the infrastructure in place where, like you mentioned, your know, Brissett gets a great opportunity. And they're not. this isn't going to be like Curtis Painter uh, coming in winning two games. The Colts are going to be good. They're interesting. No. Uh, Eberfless is a really interesting defensive coordinator. Rags a great play caller, and they'll be a lot yeah. of fun to watch. And, uh, and like this whole division's you know really opened up right now, too. Uh, yeah. So, it was yeah, it was great talking to you. I learned a lot. I don't think you're an awful American, Jared. I think you're a very, <laughs> a very fine one, as with the rest of the people of Indianapolis. Uh, so, yeah, anyways, my name's Matt Weston. Thank you for listening about Red Radio. And uh, thank you for being on site, Jared. Yeah, have a good one, bro.